love to greet you this evening in the name of Jesus. It's been a blessing to be here today and uh, to be with this group of ministers that are called to the work. And uh, I want to thank especially the local congregations. It's the first time we've been here, and it's good to be here. Thank you for your hospitality. This evening we have a subject that I believe is urgently needed in the times which we live. I told Brother Jerry it's a, it's a very good subject, but it's one that I would have rather listen to someone else give the subject. But it was good for me to think about this subject, fortifications for the church in these last days. <clears throat> and I think we all agree that we are living in the last days. The coming of Christ is imminent. <clears throat> Could be any day. church of Jesus Christ is built on that solid rock. We heard about the foundation this afternoon. Solid foundation. The gates of hell will not prevail against it. Yet as we look across the landscape today, many churches across the land are weakened, scattered. Churches that once faithfully preached the gospel of Jesus Christ that saves from sin, from hell, from death. They're preaching another gospel. <clears throat> Many leaders, lay people alike, are, are left wringing their hands. You know, what, what can be done? And maybe tonight you say, well, that won't happen to us. We're immune from the apostasy that's all around us. But are we really fortified to withstand the pressures of the evil days in which we live? Because really, whether we are faithful or not, the true church will stand. The gates of hell will not prevail against it. One day it will be completed. It's a perfect, it will be a perfect structure. It's going to be beautiful, spotless, bride of Christ. But unless we are on guard constantly and unless we really truly understand that we have a, an enemy that's out to destroy the church, <clears throat> unless we have a sure defense, <clears throat> it's going to be really easy just to be sit back and be lulled to sleep in our comfortable pews. So this subject seems to be kind of positive on the, on the surface, <clears throat> things that fortify and strengthen. But then we ask the question, why does it need fortification? <clears throat> Isn't it because the church faces many, those many negative outward pressures, the inward decay? Threats come from, it seems like, every angle. <clears throat> so it's of utmost importance that we are fortified, we are equipped for the battle. 
To begin with, I'd like to turn to Psalm 48. It's a beautiful description of the church there. I'm only going to read the first three verses and, and the three last verses of this psalm. Psalm 48, great is the Lord and greatly to be praised in the city of our God in the mountain of his holiness. Beautiful for situation, the joy of the whole earth is Mount Zion on the sides of the north, the city of the great king. God is known in her palaces for a refuge. Verse 12, walk about Zion, go round about her, tell the towers thereof. Mark ye well her bulwarks, consider her palaces that she may tell it to the generations following. For this God is our God forever and ever. He will be our guide even unto death. <clears throat> There's a couple words that stood, stood out to me in this psalm. <clears throat> in verse 3 it says, God is known in her palaces. And the word palace there has a thought of a castle. You know, a castle is a place of safety and security from the invading armies. Castle has those impenetrable walls. And I believe the church of God was, <clears throat> church was God's blueprint for all ages. A place where truth would be preserved. A place to meet the needs of the people within those gates, within those walls. A place of refuge. <clears throat> and I believe the church is a group of people that has been called out to be separated from an ungodly world. Yet there is safety within those walls. Verse 12 and 13, we see the beauty of the church, its fortifications. Walk about Zion, <clears throat> tell the towers thereof, mark ye well her bulwarks, consider her palaces that she may tell it to the generation following. And the word bulwark there has the meaning of a, a solid wall-like structure raised for defense. Something erected to defend a place or position or things that help us to stand. <clears throat> Tell the towers thereof. You know, in times of disappointments, maybe in church stress, you know, our vision sometimes can get pretty narrow. <clears throat> tend to focus on, on those negative things, uh, criticism, you know, the fighting, church splits, it's very discouraging. He says, you know, look beyond, check out the towers, the high points, talk about the positive things that are there, because God is still at work. There are still those that are remaining faithful to God, true to God. Those who decided to follow Jesus no matter what the cost. <clears throat> Tell it to the generations following. <clears throat> and I believe that the church is to continue on. <clears throat> we need to not only have a vision of the future, but also a, a, a history of its past. And... <clears throat> Maybe talk just a little bit more on that later, but I'd like to look at a couple verses in Isaiah chapter 26. Isaiah 26, first four verses. In that day shall this song be sung in the land of Judah. We have a strong city. Salvation will God appoint for walls and bulwarks. 
Open ye the gates, that the righteous nations may, which keepeth the truth may enter in. Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee, because he trusteth in thee. Trust ye in the Lord forever, for he is the Lord Jehovah. For in the Lord Jehovah is everlasting strength. <clears throat> Again, we notice the, the strength and the defense within the walls of the church. I'd like to look at a few verses from Revelation chapter 12. I'm not going to take time to read the whole chapter. Verses 7 to 12. It says, There was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon fought and his angels, and prevailed not, neither was a place their place found any more in heaven. The great dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the devil, Satan, which deceiveth the whole world. He was cast out into the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. And I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now has come salvation and strength, and the kingdom of our God, and the power of his Christ. For the accuser of our brethren is cast down, which accused them before God day and night. They overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. They loved not their lives unto the death. <clears throat> Therefore rejoice, ye heavens, and ye that dwell in them. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth and of the sea. For the devil has come down unto you, having a great wrath, because he knoweth that he hath but a short time. In the last verse, 17, And the dragon was wroth with the woman, and went to make war with the remnant of her seed which keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. So it's very clear from that passage that the church today is in a war zone. <clears throat> Satan is called that deceiver, the accuser of the brethren. He's in a great wrath. And there's things that are going on in another realm, in the underworld, that we really don't know too much about. It says he accuses the, the believer before God day and night. He's, he has only a short time and he's constant and constant and determined. He's out to get us. <clears throat> Ephesians 6 12 says we are not wrestling with flesh and blood but against principalities, against powers, against rulers of the darkness of this world against spiritual wickedness in high places. Then the next verse says, Take unto you the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand an evil day, having done all to stand. And we could talk at length about the Christian's armor, his defense system. <clears throat> and God has provided that for each one of us. <clears throat> now I think in these last days, we can't afford to be going on spiritual vacations. It's going to take that whole defense system that's offered by God. It's his power that we're going to be among that faithful remnant. Ephesians 6.18, prayer, there is another part of that defense and fortification. It says, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. I believe that's a challenge to always be in prayer. 
Well, going back to Revelation 12 there again, I believe verse 11 there is a key verse. I've written in my Bible there beside that verse, the threefold victory. It says they overcame him, that is Satan, by the blood of the Lamb, by the word of their testimony, and they loved not their lives unto the death, or they gave their lives as a living sacrifice. They were willing to die for Jesus. Fortifying ourselves and our people is, is not something that's just going to happen automatically. It's naturally, we're weak, we're easily intimidated, we're like sheep among wolves. So what are we going to do about it? How are we going to counter, <clears throat> counter this enemy that we have? And I think there's different responses to that question. And one reaction or response is, is that we just bring our hands and say, well, there's really nothing we can do about it. You know, the tide's going out to sea. And we see churches succumbing right and left, and there's a lot of pressures out there. That <clears throat> there's liberalism, there's modernistic philosophies, there's false teaching. There's disobedience to plain Bible doctrines. It's, you know, it's all around us. And sooner or later, we might as well just give up and fold our hands because we'll be next. Well, that's a very fatalistic outlook. outlook. It's really the easy road of the easy religion. You know, just follow the crowd. And there's a lot of people that have chosen that route. Another route that some have chosen is, is to make the rule book just a little bit thicker, maybe a lot thicker. And I want to say that carefully. I, I believe in church standards. <clears throat> they help us maintain Bible principles. You know, some have chosen to abolish these, these man-made rules, you know. <clears throat> and I think we've all seen the end result of that. But at the same time, by simply making more rules and laws, we are not going to be able to legislate the Christ life within us or our people. You know, we can't write enough rules to keep us from all the evil in this world. <clears throat> I was thinking last, last week, we came through the election season, and people chose or voted in people, those because of the hope of, of that these elected people are going to make better laws or maybe get rid of some ones we don't like. And politically, our land is cluttered with more laws than it knows what to do with. And some of these laws may counter even what counter each other. So simply making more laws it really doesn't cure the problem, especially in an unregenerate, unregenerate society, because they're always fine loopholes. The church is called to a higher law. <clears throat> There's a higher calling. It's the law of Christ. As born-again Christians, we are called to serve Christ with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all our strength and mind. 
And again, I'm not minimizing the need for Bible applications. But I think if we're serious about serving Christ, we aren't looking for these self-serving loopholes. Well, back to the question, uh, what are some practical ways that we can be fortified, strengthened? And I don't have an all-encompassing list, and you're probably glad I don't, because I gave this sermon Sunday, and I went over time, so I'm going to try to stay within the bounds here. But I'd like to begin with the most important, what I think is the most important, and that is we're fortified by the, by the living head, which is Christ. Now these fortifications that we want to look at here are, are not just some wise idea from ideas from highly intelligent men. But in our own strength, we cannot and we will not overcome. This fortification comes by a church that's empowered by the living Christ and, that, and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit in the life of each member. You know, we look for direction from the living head. And anything other than that is it's doomed to failure. Colossians 1.18 says, He, or Christ, is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. You know, it's not my church or our church. It's Christ's body. He's the center of command. <clears throat> And while it's true that God does use men and women such as you and I here this evening, we need to take our direction from the head. You know, if we abuse that God-given authority and it's building on my foundation, hammering out my ideas, I believe we will suffer loss, as 1 Corinthians 3 would talk about. Secondly, we must be fortified by the word of God. We need, we must teach sound doctrine. Second Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 to 4, Paul talking to, writing to Timothy here, says, I charge thee therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ who shall judge the quick and the dead, and his appearing in his kingdom. Preach the word, be instant in season, out of season, rebuke, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lusts shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. They shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned into fables. But watch sound all things, endure afflictions. Do the work of an evangelist. Make full proof of thy ministry. You know, the scripture that we hold in our hands, this not only contains the word of God, as some would teach, but this is the inspired, God-breathed word in its entirety. It's from Genesis, Genesis to Revelation. The verses previous to that, what I just read, 
3, 16 and 17, all scripture is given by inspiration of God, is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, truly furnished unto all good works. And I think we could add the word fortified. You know, as in church life and speaking to the ministry here, there's a constant need of teaching. You know, it's, it's ongoing. And yet I, I think we don't want to be guilty of just riding our hobby horse, but <clears throat> I guess I'm reminded how quickly time passes. You know, sermons that we think we preached maybe a couple years ago, you know, it's like 10 or 15 years ago, and younger ones probably never heard it. And probably the older ones tend to forget. At least I do. <clears throat> Isaiah 28, verse 9 and 10 says, Whom shall he teach knowledge, and whom shall he make to understand doctrine? Them that are weaned from the milk and drawn from the breast. For precept must be upon precept, precept upon precept, line upon line, line upon line, here a little and there a little. <clears throat> The younger generation, as well as the older, needs to hear sound doctrine from God's word. <clears throat> and we, we need to hear the all things that pertain to life and godliness, not just some seeker-friendly kind of a feel-good message that makes people feel comfortable in their sin. Hebrews 4.12 says, For the word of God is quick and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit, of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. <clears throat> Again, preach the word. <clears throat> and I believe, too, it's important to hide God's word in our hearts. <clears throat> Probably when we're older, it's, I know it's harder to memorize. But I, I remember verses that I learned when I was young, maybe at home or in school, for Sunday school. These things have a way of coming back. <clears throat> While back, I was reading a story about what happened in Russia in the early 50s. And at that time, they had very few Bibles. Many times, just a page or two was circulated around. And they didn't have any songbooks, or very few. But when they could, they, they memorized these things, the scripture, the hymns. But during that, that time of intense persecution, there's three pastors got the idea to gather together the youth from as many places as they could, and they would gather together in Moscow. And a lot of these youth were very isolated. They were lonely, they were discouraged. It was a very dangerous time to be a Christian. And... <clears throat> This invitation, they, they 
there was nearly 700 of them came together. They were unmarried young believers, 18 to 30 years old. Of course, this did not escape the communist government. And later, those three pastors were arrested and sent to prison for three years. But one of the things that they were challenged to do at this meeting was to get together in small groups and see how many, how much of the Gospels they could write down, and also then they do that for the songs and hymns. And so they got their heads together, and at the end of the conference, you know, these young people were able to complete the four Gospels with maybe six minor mistakes. They were able to recreate more than 1,200 songs, choruses, and hymns from memory. You know, is it any wonder the Christian faith survived and even thrived under that oppression in the Soviet Union? Do you think our youth today could accomplish that? It is interesting to read also that about 10 years after the fall of communism, the youth from these same churches, the grandchildren of the same people, they were asked some questions about the Bible and they could hardly even recite even a few books of the Bible, just the books of the Bible. So what had happened? I think with freedom, scripture and hymns kind of lost their importance. And I fear that our soft, comfortable age, these other things of less importance can easily crowd out the necessity of, of knowing God's word and applying it in our lives. Do we really treasure God's word? Well, thirdly, we must be fortified with biblical applications of Bible principles. Principles such as separation from the world, nonconformity, non-resistance, women's bailing, <clears throat> modesty, non-wearing of jewelry. And I think these things need to be continually taught, applied to daily living. Now, the Bible is, is a book that can be applied to any culture at any time at any place. And it's true that applications may, may vary with culture. The principles do not change. Now, each generation needs to be fortified with answers from God's word. Maybe sometimes people come up to you and say, well, I'm a Christian too, but why are you dressed differently? You know, what's this thing with, that the ladies are wearing on their heads? You know, do we, do we have answers? <clears throat> We've had people come up to us in Los Angeles and, you know, we're singing together there and together there and they say, you know, this is just beautiful. You just stand out as genuine 
as as pure uh, the purity. You know, people are attracted to something different from the, what the world has to offer. <clears throat> well, some may say, well, you, you just have to be like the world to win the world. Well, you know, the fact is a lot of people are, are sick and tired of what comes out of places like Hollywood. But, you know, I wonder sometimes in our own circles, the fads, the innovations, or why does Hollywood itself even have its appeal, it seems like, in those things? And I've been to Hollywood a number of times, and there's, there's just such emptiness. <clears throat> there's just a lot of darkness there. And yet, I guess it must be the beautiful side of evil. There's, a, there's an attraction to, to our essential nature. You know, why is it so hard to be seen as non-conformed and different? Even though in the world there's all kinds of different. You know, there's the purple hair, the nose rings, and you name it. You know, we don't dress different just to be different or to stand out, but we're not conformed to the world but because we're obedient to God. Romans 12, 2 says, be not conformed to the world. That's a very clear command there. Second Corinthians six seventeen and 18 says, Wherefore, come out from among them, and be separate, saith the Lord. Touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you, and will be a father unto you, and you shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. <clears throat> Well, we could talk about the principles of non-resistance, and we heard about that summary already today. But we have Jesus' own words. <clears throat> Resist not evil. Pray for those that despitefully use you. First Peter 3.15 says, But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you of the reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. And I'm not going to say much on this, but it probably could be a separate point. Reaching out to a lost world as a way of fortifying us, strengthening us. And I think we could talk about evangelism and being a witness. I guess I had to think about some sometimes uh, being involved in the LA for Jesus there in Los Angeles. We often hear some of the youth say, you know, this just being here helped me to really know what I believe. So I believe it can be a, a fortifying effect. <clears throat> Maybe this is the next point here is the fortification in the world of technology. Maybe that seems like maybe we look at technology as a threat 
But really, technology is, is really nothing new in itself. And of itself, it's neither right nor wrong. But as in the case with every good and useful thing, Satan would love to have control. And over the past 100 years, there, there's an explosion of new technology. You know, we've, we now have electricity, we have cars, we have airplane travel, labor-saving devices of all sor sorts. <clears throat> you know, really, in the last 100 years, our lifestyle has dramatically changed from our forefathers. <clears throat> and I think as conservative Mennonites, we've embraced a lot of that new and improved stuff. And yet, as, as radio and television came on the scene, they, <clears throat> we rejected that, or it was before my time, but it was not because there was nothing good on it, but it, it was because what came over the airwaves was really being controlled by the world. And the entertainment world had a, had a very strong presence in these things. And, and so it was determined that we could live very well without this detrimental influence in our homes. But you know, there were, there were some, even Mennonites, that chose to accept and allow these things. And maybe looking back to us, it's pretty obvious that it only accelerated the apostasy. And today in many of those churches, there's very little biblical application to just about anything. The battle lines are moved a lot, a long way off to maybe allow gay marriage, women in the pulpit, acceptance of evolution. You know, there's debates about the atoning blood of Christ or the virgin birth. But today, we're not exempt. <clears throat> you know, we're living in a computer age. There's instant communication that cir circles the globe in, in seconds. And changes in technology come at such a rapid rate, it's, it's hard for us to keep up, especially us older ones. And you, again, we've embraced a lot of these this technology. You know, probably most of you have computers, cell phones, and whether it's dumb phones or smart, a lot of us use the internet, maybe some of you even daily. The question I'd like to ask is, are we fortified to be faithful in this age of technology? Because we really, I think we all would agree that there's, there's a dark side of the internet. There are those in control of this whole infrastructure that do not have an, a godly agenda. And that's probably putting it very mildly. But you know that the internet can be a useful tool. <clears throat> and I believe we can use it for good, like our cars, our telephones, our travel. Let's remember that there is a dark side and Satan would like to control it. <clears throat> in every aspect. 
Are we fortified to stand? You know, I think even the world is concerned about, you know, this people walking around being glued to their screens, especially the effect on the youth. You know, there's relationships that are skin deep. You know, people might have a thousand friends or more on social media, but they're so lonely that suicide seems to be the only option. And I believe it. <clears throat> suicide, I stand corrected, but it's either the first or the second cause of death in young people, and it's often traced back to social media. You know, they, there's no relationships. And I believe youth today are, are longing for relationships, real friends, but technology can often be an escape from the real world. Well, how are we going to be fortified? <clears throat> I believe a filtering system is is definitely needed. Again, it's it's not the uh, there's bypasses to that. You know, it goes deeper than that. But I believe. As churches, as families, I believe guidelines are necessary. And it may be a work in progress, it seems like. <clears throat> and I believe we need teaching. And I'm sure not all of our churches are going to come out at exactly the same place. But I believe as a church we can stand together and it can be a defense for our people. Accountability is another defense. You know, how open are we about how we use it? <clears throat> Maybe along with accountability to the church, another area that we can be, a, be fortified and protected is, is by our dependence on our brotherhood. And I think one of the threats facing us today is, is that independent spirit. You know, it's just, just me and Jesus. And I believe there's a message about that tomorrow, the individualism and independence. So I'm not going to talk about that much. But I believe there's fortification and strength in, in working together as a local body. And Satan would, would just love to drive wedges. And uh, because of maybe the differences in the way we see things, I believe we need our brethren. Let's depend on them. Also, we need to be fortified for it to be a suffering church. I believe, I believe Brother Gerald mentioned that tonight about suffering. Patience. You know, we live in a time of unprecedented freedoms. You know, as we look at history, you know, I think, again, there's so much value in looking at, at our history, our forefathers, the Anabaptists. You know, we see in them a willingness to suffer. You know, the horrible, dark-smelling, dark, horrible-smelling prisons to have their bodies tortured, screws put in their fingers, tongues cut off, 
the body stretched out on the rack. Let them be burned with fire rather than to give up their relationship with Christ. You know, is our generation fortified to suffer? Am I ready to leave my comfortable house and my comfortable lifestyle and flee with just the clothes on my back? You know, are the youth of our churches willing to die or to be put in prison for refusing to take up arms and fight for our country? And on Hebrews 11, we read about those heroes of faith. They were stoned, they were sawn asunder, they were tempted, they were slain with the sword, they wandered about in deserts and caves and afflicted, tormented, they were tortured. Others were delivered by faith. They were fortified to, to endure. Talk about patience, <clears throat> that's endurance, enduring all kinds of hardships. What kind of faith do we have? You know, maybe we think it's kind of hard when people smile at us and as we walk by and think we're a little bit strange. Maybe they're bold enough to laugh at us and we kind of shrink away in the corner. <clears throat> Second Timothy 2. 1 to 4, it says, Thou therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men, who shall be able to teach others also. Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. Are we, am I a soldier of Christ? <clears throat> you know, sometimes our material pursuits can be so entangling. And a lot of Mennonites have become successful businessmen. And I'm not here to say, to judge all that, but I wonder, you know, how soft can we become before it's, it's really just too hard to suffer? we have to are we fortified to suffer and that day may come a lot sooner than we think think about brother Ken Miller he was called to suffer in prison for helping a, a woman and her daughter out of an ungodly relationship others have suffered loss for not serving those with sinful lifestyles we might be next. You know, we don't know. It's a hostile world world in which we live. And I think we sometimes forget that persecution is happening in the world right now. 2018. You know, there's many people in China, Muslim countries that, you know, they, they expect that knock on the door. They expect that prison sentence. You know, there's something wrong if, if I don't get a prison sentence. <clears throat> and they do it joyfully for the cause of Christ. Am I willing to die for my faith? <clears throat> well, there could be 
other points here, but <clears throat> to sum up this, I'd like to challenge each one, church leaders, fathers and mothers. We need to take personal responsibilities. You know, we're called to serve this generation today. Do we have those convictions to fortify us and to strengthen us for the gener generation that follows us? Are we grounded and settled in the Word of God? You know, <clears throat> belonging to a, a good church, sending our children to a Christian school, it's, it's a wonderful privilege, but alone, I don't think that is enough. You know, are we focused on connecting with the younger generation to help them through the snares, the exposure to evil? <clears throat> and I know the feeling of maybe not knowing how, where to begin. But are our homes a place where children see Christ living within us? Do we have strong homes where fathers and mothers love each other, work together to fulfill those God-given roles? Are we making practical applications to biblical principles in our homes and in our churches? How are we setting the sails? In which direction am I headed? Is it toward the world or is it toward the church? And today there's, there's still a lot of work to be done. God's kingdom needs to be extended. So let's rise up and build. The night comes when no man can work because we're living in the last days. The Church of Jesus Christ is marching onward, ever onward, toward the goal. Those that endure unto the end will be saved. So may we be a part of that heavenly kingdom, and uh, not only today, but I trust that's our goal for eternity.